0: The text for the sermon this day is taken from 1 Corinthians, specifically this verse, chapter 3, verse 9, which writes, For we are God's fellow workers. That is the text. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So Paul's letter to the church in Corinth is a letter that has a whole laundry list of issues, and this is kind of something you'll hear quite a bit about more on the other side of Christmas, as we kind of walk through portions of it. But the primary issue at the church in Corinth is divisions. No, not math, although that can be struggling for some, but they were fighting about anything and everything they could think of to fight about. The issue of, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos. The issue isn't that they that Paul is their teacher, or Apollos is their teacher. The issue is that they are trying to play a game of one-upmanship. They're trying to do the kind of a proverbial, my dad can beat up your dad argument. So basically what it would be is one person says, ah. You know what? My teacher is Apollos. And then someone else comes like, Apollos is nothing. My teacher is Paul, so I'm better than you. Then another guy says, yeah, well, my teacher is, is Cephas. Which, by the way, that is Peter. And you know, Peter, he's the one who gave that great confession. And then there's one guy that finally says, yeah, well, my teacher is Jesus. You can't pop that one. That's basically all they are doing. It's a game of ego. And the thing is, is as Paul is highlighting, is when we get caught up in silly divisions, we lose sight of what we are here to do. Why the church exists. Because let's not pretend that this was the last time that there were ever divisions. Divisions and conflict has always existed within the church. It goes way, way, way back. And a lot of, and these are not, when I'm not talking about divisions just of doctrine, now those are issues that are important to confront. But I'm talking about divisions like which hymns should we sing on Sunday? Or, should we sing hymns at all? Should we, or maybe we mix it up? What time should the service be? How long should it be? How often should we have communion? How long, what do we do about dishwashers or coffee machines? I was not here for those issues, but I've heard about them. Issues that ultimately, if you're to look up the Bible, answer on how to deal with it, it's not in there because it is not a biblical issue. But nonetheless, we let these fights get in the way. These issues get in the way of why we are here. How many of you were, were any of you have by chance a member of the Walther League? Last night we had a few. For those you who don't know, Walther League is what, was used, what is now LYF. It is the old youth ministry. It was named after C.F.W. Walther, who was the first president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And there's a great quote by him where he says that if any synod or any church wishes to be a part of this synod... That they, their goal should not be to grow their own church, but for the growth of the kingdom of God. And I'm kind of paraphrasing. And see, right there is the mission of the church. To grow Christ's kingdom. Now that might mean that St. Paul Luther Church is growing. But that is not our goal. Our goal is to grow Christ's kingdom. And why do we sometimes lose track of this? Because I think we take for granted what we have. Now, when I was in seventh grade, when I went through confirmation, I wish I could tell you that I was the best confirmation student that ever walked the earth. Nope. I can tell you it was merely by the grace of Pastor Linderman that I made it past the 7th grade. I was not a good confirmation student. And if you're, you're like me, you probably begrudged having to memorize those commandments, the creeds, and especially the meanings. Oh, that was so much work. And you probably wrestled and tr- pushed through it. But the thing is, is we take for granted what's in that document and that small catechism. It's not until you talk to someone who did not grow up with it that you realize how amazing it is. So you think, the first chief article, you have the Ten Commandments, right? You get to that first commandment, you shall have no other gods, and this is the easiest meaning to remember, We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Now the question comes. Do you, with confidence, say that you always, 100% of the time, perfectly have love, trust, and fear in God above all other things? That there is nothing you trust more than Him. If you ever want to find out the answer to that, track where the most most of your time, the most of your finances go to, and you'll find where your trust lies. Figure out how often do you spend time in prayer? How often do you spend time reading God's Word? If you are not spending a certain decent amount of time, if you are not spending time in prayer, then that is a failure to trust in God above all things. Or how about that second commandment? You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. I'm, I'm old school, so I go with the old wording. Or you shall not misuse the Lord's name. So this could be simple as a, an OMG. People text that, Snapchat it, or whatever. Or you could just say, gosh, yes, that is also using the Lord's name in vain. Or it could be something that gets a little more popular in these days. One day you're on the internet. And you see a post, that it says, Jesus has promised that you will get unexpected money in your bank account. All you have to do is write amen. First off, anybody know any Bible verse that has given that promise to you? Nope. If you, if you think, and so if you click amen, guess what? You just used the Lord's name in vain against something that he never, ever promised. And by the way, there are pre- these are preachers who are sharing these around. And sadly, they're getting way too popular. Or the third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That's not just... Yes, you go to church. But beyond that... When you, you gladly hear God's word. And that means that when you go out to these, these doors, you don't act as if you'd never heard it. That means when you go, let's say you go to Zimmy's or you go to Subway or whatever, that means you are polite, you are kind and patient and gentle to the staff. One of the very sad reputations is... That if you talk to a lot of restaurant workers, the worst day of the week to work is Sunday. When the church people come in, because they're usually the rudest. Sounds like we just forgot what we just heard. That is a failure in the third. Not to mention, breaking of some of the other commandments. Fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother and other authorities. So that means your employer, your teacher, your government. Yes, no matter who the president is, no matter who the governor is, whether they got an R or a D or an I at at the end of their name, you're to honor them. It's not always easy, is it? And you, that is just the first four commandments. You shall not murder if you ever call someone a fool, ever hate your brother. Sixth commandment, if you ever look lustfully. Seventh commandment, if you've ever, if you ever failed to protect your neighbor's property. Eighth commandment, if you've ever failed to build up the reputation of your neighbor, if you've ever failed to put the best instruction if you've ever coveted, i guess nobody covets any ox or donkey these days, you might. But, much more likely, you covet that car, or that truck, or that house, or that lawn, or whatever. You go through all those commandments. And you get to the close of the commandments, and what does it say? Anyone who breaks these commandments will what? Be punished. That's how the catechism begins. That is the law, hitting very, very hard. When you read the commandments, yes, it is telling you how you are to live, but as you read through every single one of them, you are seeing how you break every single one of them. And what we deserve is punishment. We deserve God's wrath. And by the way, this is, there's a reason that Luther began his small catechism like that. Is he wanted to start with the law. The Germans in that time were using the word of God as an excuse to be lawless. And so he was calling them out. This is how you are to be. In fact, he preached sermons on that for several weeks. And then you get to the creed, and you get to that first article, and God gives us eyes, ears, our members, clothing, house, family, he he protects us from evil, and he does this all because he sent on that email that you got, right? Or he he does that all because you like to search and post. Nope. He does it all because you put the right amount of money in the offering plate. Or in the offering box. Nope, that isn't it either. Why does he do it? Out of divine, fatherly goodness and mercy. Without any merit or worthiness in me. God gives you good things. He provides for you. He cares for you. He gives you your daily bread. Not because of anything in you, but because of who he is. Even though we deserve nothing, he provides with all that you need for this life. That first article, that is profound. We convince ourselves that when life is not going our way, we think maybe we sin just the wrong way, just enough that God doesn't want to provide for us anymore. But we confess that he provides for us in spite of what we do and have done. And then you get to that second article. We are lost and condemned. You go back to those commandments. We've broken every last one of them. We deserve hell and damnation. But we are told that Jesus, who is God, became human flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, in order to redeem you, a lost and condemned creature, not with silver or gold, but with his holy, innocent suffering and death when you were helpless, when you could do nothing, when you were in rebellion to God, he saved you by his blood on the cross, that you may live in his kingdom, that you may live forever in eternal blessedness. That is what he earned for you on the cross. And this is where the third article, this is where we get really profound. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength come to know Jesus as Lord. So, you might hear somebody say, in order to receive this salvation, you have to accept Jesus into your heart. You have to make that decision. You've got to make the choice, you might hear. But fortunately, God does not leave it up to your choice. Because if he did... No one would be saved. Because if Jesus said, guess what? I'll save you, but you have to let me save you. The problem is our sinful nature is so deep and so corrupted that we want anything, and anything but God in our lives. We would never ever choose him Because in our sinful nature, we despise God. Because the existence of God is evidence that we are not God. And we don't like it. And so the Holy Spirit comes down through his word, through his sacrament, and he chooses you. He makes the choice that you can't make. He chooses you to be holy and blameless in his sight. He chooses you to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And he does it through such incredible means. So, right here we got this wonderful font, the baptismal font. Now, there's many different shapes. It's not about the shape, it's not about the water. When, you, when those words are said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That is a wondrous day. There's a reason why I am sending out baptism birthday cards to all of our youth. I send it out to everyone, but it's, that's a lot of writing. Even just for the youth, it's a lot of handwriting. So, but I'm starting to make practice to try to call people near that time. Trying to. But... So if you get a call from me at some point, that means probably within that week span, that was probably your baptism birthday. Just a little note. But anyways, the reason is, is because that is even a greater celebration than your birthday. Because on your birthday, you were born an enemy of God. You were born in your sins and your trespasses. But when you were brought to the fount, you were born again. And you received a robe of righteousness that covers all of your guilt, all of your sin, and declares that you are a child of God. And it declares that you are a saint. On the day you were baptized, everlasting life began. And it's the reason why All Saints Day is your day. And this is where that meal that we have is so wonderful. You come up and I say, you hear these words, take, eat, this is the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Take, drink, this is the blood of Jesus. But here's the thing that's really incredibly awesome. When you receive the Lord's Supper, you are united to Christ. So this person, let's say somebody's taking communion here, they are united to Jesus. The altar represents the throne of God. You are united to Jesus. This person right here, they are also united to Jesus through the Lord's Supper. Which means, by the way, if this person's united to Jesus, this person's united to Jesus, guess what? That means you are united to one another. This is why we call it communion, common union. The many become one in Christ. But notice this is just half of a square. It ends right on the wall. Because you see, you are part of what's known as the church militant. On the other side is what is known as the church triumphant. And so in a little bit, you're going to hear the names of those who have died in the last year. Guess what? They are united to Christ. And when you come for the supper you are united to them if you have someone that has died in the faith that you miss where you go to visit them is not the grave because they're not there yet cuz they'll rise again on the one day but where you go to see them is right here where Jesus is present in the bread and the wine here you visit and you vi- meet With those who have died in Christ. We say it all the time. Therefore with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven. We laud and magnify your glorious name. Evermore praising you and saying holy, holy, holy. This is a wondrous gift. A wondrous truth. You receive grace. You are united. This is where heaven and earth meet. In a world that is chaotic, in the world where there's, there's war, there is division. Everywhere we look, we can't seem to get away from it. In a world where there's depression, anxiety, all tor- sorts of struggle, you come to this place where you can escape for a moment from the world around you and you get to taste and meet heaven. You get to taste Christ. You get to taste The time, the moment that's going to come when this will all cease. And you will live in eternal blessedness because Christ redeemed you, a lost and condemned creature. This is a special place. But you are the church militant, which means raise your hand if you are a missionary. If you've been to Mission Central, you know the answer is always me. The mission field is right outside these doors. We are fellow workers. Yeah, I'm coming back to that verse finally. We are fellow workers carrying this mission into the mission field around us. This is an outpost sending us out to carry the mission of telling the gospel, drawing people to the word, to the means of grace, that they may join us in that feast, in that kingdom which has no end. Till that day comes, to Christ be all glory, and may we ever be serving in his name. In Jesus' name, amen.